0: Welcome to the Conversations with Commerce Next podcast. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Commerce Next and presented by Bloomreach. CSC Generation has mastered the craft of transforming challenged retail brands at the brink of liquidation into high-performance, digital-first operations. By using their fine-tuned omni-channel technology platform, CSC Generation has a data-driven recipe for retail operations, which is undoubtedly the driving force behind the company's rapid expansion. On this episode of Conversations with Commerce Next, my co Scott Zimmerman and I sit down with the founder and CEO behind it all, Justin Yoshermar. Justin opens up the hood and shares with us how his youth shaped his approach to business, as well as the inner workings of CSC's success. Together, we talk about the business of retail acquisition, entrepreneurial grit, and how to prioritize company culture when scaling up your business.
1: The fact that, you know, you if you're going to spend the majority of your day working, that you, you really should be at somewhere where, you know, not only are you learning or harvesting, whichever one, right, you, is your priority, mm. but then somewhere where you really enjoy and, and thinking about that where you're enjoying yourself. Let's listen in now.
2: Well, welcome, Justin, to the Conversations with Commerce Next podcast. Uh, so Justin Yoshimura is the chairman and CEO of CSC Generation, um, which is the um, holding company for Serla Taub, One King's Lane, Z Gallery. Um, we're going to learn more about that. Welcome. It's, uh, we've had our, our paths have crossed very infrequently over the past 10 years, but it's great to catch up with you. I know that whenever I have had a chance to Chat. It's always an interesting conversation. You always have lots of opinions. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit later about uh, some culture and, and leadership issues that inspired me to reach out to you from something you wrote on LinkedIn. Um, but with me today is our, uh, my podcast co-host, Michael LeBlanc. Uh, how are you, Michael?
0: I'm very well. I'm actually a little freaked out because I'm here in the great white north and it was 63 degrees yesterday, the week before Christmas. So uh, I'm not quite sure what that means. Justin,
1: where are we reaching you today? Uh, I'm in Napa right now. That's nice. Yeah, that's a nice, a nice, a nice temperature. Much better. I'm usually well, <laughs> actually in Chicago
0: during this time. of well, year. usually, I mean, it's we're probably the same degrees right now. Kind of weirdness of of weather, but uh, yeah, there yeah. you go. So great to meet. So great to meet you, and welcome. Great to meet
1: you as
2: well. Uh, let's start with your background, and you've quite an interesting background. Um, and we don't normally do this, but I want to go all the way back to high, your high school days because. You know, as I've heard you describe it, um, it, it, it did play a role in your entrepreneurial jir- journey. So I, I'd love to maybe help everyone understand a little bit about your background.
1: I, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. And um, when I was an early teenager, I had bought something online. And I thought that, that was, But basically, actually, before I uh, started, um, before I bought something online, my parents were really annoying and they would go to Costco every weekend to like and go shopping, you know, at these for, for a whole day to buy things that they needed during the week. After realizing the potential of e commerce, of not having to spend one day a week in stores, I, re- I wanted to, um, I, I really just became hooked. I also learned or realized that I wasn't learning anything about the internet software development, digital marketing, or e-commerce in high school or in college, right? Or that rather, even if I went to college, I wouldn't learn about any of those topics. Um, and instead, you know, we were talking about like the Oregon Trail. And so I just, you know, realized that I really would be better off learning about things that I was interested in and things that I thought would be the future on my own rather than staying in school. So I, um, essentially got my GED, um, and I left school, uh, and, um, due to me leaving school, my Japanese mom, uh, had a freak out. And so there was, uh, some, t- some time where there was a lot of conflict. And so I had to leave my parents' house. Um, and I, uh, so I moved out as a teenager and, uh, I've been involved in mainly, uh, e-commerce and marketing tech. Um, and uh, re- e-commerce, retail, and marketing tech-related companies ever since.
0: So it, it's a, as Scott said, such an interesting journey. Do you? What do you think of the unique characteristics? I want to jump into that. I'm kind of usurping the questions a little bit, but just following up on your comments. What what are the? You know, you've learned so much. Is it? Is it a path that is unique to you? Do you think it's a path that more people should or could take? I mean, how, you know, when you advise meet with youth and say, do what I do or don't do what I do. How do you think about that?
1: You know, I think it's very circumstance specific, you know? And so actually I didn't go to college either, but um, I had actually applied after I sold my business. I applied to go to a bunch of colleges because I, you know, I still thought that maybe that's what I should do, you know? Um, And I applied to Harvard and Stanford and um, UPenn and, uh, I didn't actually get into any of these schools just said, okay, well, I guess I didn't get into college, so I might as well start another company. And then, um, I started another company and then that ended up doing well. Um, and so that's just, it kind of, I kind of fell into it in a way as well, but yeah, you know, yeah. and so I wouldn't necessarily advise someone to do that or to not, but, but, you know, but what I would say is like school isn't for everyone, you know? I think a lot of people are able to get a lot out of school, but you know, a lot of people, like I have ADHD. And um, the other thing too was that um, I've, I've had ADHD my whole life, but my parents, this is like some time ago, right? Where it wasn't, people didn't really, um, ADHD is actually, it wasn't really recognized. Um, I'm 31 now, but you know, like 20 years ago, right? It wasn't as like developed in terms of the study of ADHD. And so I had ADHD in school and, you know, but it was like, even, um, my psychiatrist that I saw said, Hey, I think, you know, you have ADHD, but really nothing was done about it. And so I wasn't mm-hmm. really able to, you know, school really wasn't for me, right. Because I'm very interested in learning about certain topics, but I'm not interested in other things. Clearly. Yeah. And in school, you yeah. kind of have to do the whole curriculum. And I just was like, why do I have to, why can I only take like, you know, math and computer related classes or something, right? I didn't really, I wasn't really interested in the other ones, Be, right? Like, so I think that in school has really been the same high school, college has not really changed that much, you know, for so long that, right. But the world has changed so much that, you know, I think for a lot of people, um, you know, you don't have to go to school, it, right? School isn't the most efficient way to learn. Um, but, you know, for other people, it is.
0: Well, let's let's fast forward to more or less current state. I mean, you've been so successful. I want to learn all about uh, CSC generation, the origin story. How did that start? Where was the idea? What was the thesis, so to speak, behind uh, what is a a platform that brings together brands? So tell us all about that.
1: So when I was uh 19, actually. So I met Scott when I was, I think, when I was like 20 years old. This is back when I had a fake ID because I couldn't even like, I couldn't go to like your, you know, there would be events at like shop.org, you know, that Scott would have, but it would be like at a bar and I wasn't 21. So I needed an ID to get into Scott's events. <laughs> um, and uh, and so I uh, back then I started a, a software company, a cloud-based software company called 500 Friends that um, enabled retailers to launch uh, cloud-based omni-channel loyalty programs. Um, So our customers were people like 1-800-Flowers, L'Oreal, Abercrombie, Eddie Bauer, Sony, Michael Kors. And and those were the customers that were doing well, and they were happy with the platform, except for um, we had actually 10 to 15% of uh, our customers every year would file for bankruptcy, and I realized that, like you know, so actually, and I'm also on the board of Wonderkind, which formerly um, was known as BounceX, um, and yeah. right, we and we power, you know, we're the fourth, third or fourth largest revenue channel for major e-commerce brands, and still 10% of our customers would file for bankruptcy every year, and so right, I. I said, you know, so like you could sell them really good software, right? But, you know, whether it's buy now, pay later, or Wonderkind or 500 Friends, or whatever it may be, right? But um, the, these retailers really, uh, the, um, the, as, as basically, you know, the cost of um, com- competing with Amazon is, is, is increasing every single year. And so for most brands, if you don't actually have scale, you just can't ever make money. That I think that's why, if you look at even during COVID, right? Um, you know, the brands that actually grew e-commerce the most were actually the stronger ones, and the weaker ones actually lost market share. And so I saw the opportunity to build this shared core platform, everything from accounting, ERP, warehouse management to e-commerce. And not necessarily build everything, right, but really build the, the glue to take the best um, software, let's say, that's on the market, build take the best open source software, but actually create a modern operating system for omni-channel retailers so that they could then, you know, right, when we could leverage our scale from shipping, payment processing, customer acquisition, retention, cross-selling, direct importing, right, to really save these companies from, from going extinct. It's both really, it's scale and expertise, right? I mean, yeah. it,
0: it, it's also adding a layer of, of sophistication that you can kind of, as a shared service blend across all the brands, right? That's, that's part of also the philosophy. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, for example, right in, in, you know, again, because all of these brands, right. If you're, let's say, Sur Tab, you know, Sur La Tab had, so much infrastructure, right? This whole management team, you know, Sur was a 200, a little, a brand doing over $200 million in revenue um, with 120 stores. And they could never like, but what they really needed to do was have 60 stores, you know, right? Because mm. we like stores are still relevant in today's world. And, you know, in stores are very important to CSC in our brands. Right. But, like does Surla tab, does the world really need Surla tab? Does a community need that need Surla tab to have three or five stores in one city, you know, probably right. Like maybe if it's Chicago, right. Or, or LA, you know, makes sense to have three cities, three stores or four stores, but not in every single store, you know, as right. Like we don't need to go into how retails has been overbuilt in the United States. And so because CSC has the expertise and the scale, we closed down half of Serlatab stores when we acquired the business, which is obviously a difficult decision to make, right? But that ultimately allowed the other stores to be successful because rather than having four mediocre stores in a city, now Surlatab has two great stores, Right where the sales transfer from the remaining stores and the investments that we can make in having a smaller fleet allows us to be more profitable.
0: So the, so basically the bet you make on that, and it's interesting we flesh this out, the bet you make is you can make the two stores instead of five as destination stores, that they're not yeah. relying on just organic traffic, right? And I guess that leads me to the kind of the next question. As we think about the brand Sula Tab and One King's Lane and, and Z Gallery, they're clearly integrated, as you've been describing, on a common platform. How integrated are they at the brand level or the consumer level? I don't see a ton of integration when I go to the individual sites, but how do you think about that?
1: So we, we've continued to gobble up more and more brands and, and, and stores. Um, we're, we're approaching, um, actually, yeah um, we're, we're, we're now in excess of a $1.5 billion run rate. Wow. And, um, Congratulations. Thank you. And, um, you know, and so there's a lot of work, uh, to be, to be done, um, where I would say that we're still in the early stages of all the integration work because, Mm. you know, these things take years to do. Like for example, right now, right. All of our warehouses are still largely operating each brand independently. So we have 11 Mm. warehouses and we have 11 brands, you know, And so, right, Mm. like there's other things that are integrated, but to let's say have multiple brands in one warehouse, you need to run the same software. And so, you know, that, right. And you have to rip out the old software from all the places. And so we're not finished with that yet. Um, On the consumer side, you know, there's still a bunch of like cross selling and so on that we do behind the scenes, but we haven't, um, you know, launched like a shared loyalty program, for example, a shared private label credit card across the brands, right. In order to, um, maximize cross-sell, we're still, um, you know, again, um, er, 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 early, early in, in that. And it's a big growth driver for us.
0: And you, and you might see that kind of last question. You might see that then as your point of arrival, you just haven't got there yet, but you do yeah. like a shared gift card or credit card, that's exactly. where you're going.
1: Yep. You got a lot of other things to get done first, right? There so much to do. The one thing, you know, Scott had emailed me asking, I think, um, you know, what advice, or what, like, right. Like what, what, you know, what has been different from what I expected sort of sort of line of questioning. And essentially, right. What I will say is that, so when I was selling software to retailers, I was at Merkle after Merkle bought five and their friends and at, at Wunderkind, um, I thought that, you know, if this would be easier to do than mm-hmm. it has been, you know, to, it is really, really hard. Yeah. This business is just a very intense Competitive, fast-moving, challenging space. If you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure and hit that subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so you
0: don't miss another great episode. We'll be right back with our interview with Justin Yoshimura after this important message. Bloomreach is the world's number one e-commerce experience cloud, empowering brands to deliver customer journeys so personalized they feel like magic. It offers a suite of products that drive true personalization and digital commerce growth, including discovery, offering AI-driven search and merchandising, content, offering a headless CMS, and engagement, offering a leading CDP and marketing automation solution. Together, these solutions combine the power of unified customer and product data with the speed and scale of AI optimization, enabling digital commerce experiences that convert on any channel and every journey. Learn more at bloomreach.com dot com. That's Bloomreach. dot com. Yeah, it's 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 harder than it sounds to rip out multiple OMSs, order management systems, and you know. And the other problem going on at the same time, as Seth Godin said, you know, the problem with the race to the bottom. Sometimes you win. You don't want to be in that position either, right? As you yeah. compete against uh, the fists of stone of some pretty big competitors. No, exactly.
2: So um, I want to, you know, kind of transition into the, the culture and, and leadership. But just for context, for CSC Generation, can you give a little bit of a timetable, you know, which brand you started with and what, what year that was? And just so everyone can under everyone, all of our listeners can understand a little bit about when you got involved and when some of these brands joined CSC Generation.
1: We really got started in 2016. And, uh, that's when we raised our first institutional round of capital. Um, I think we raised like $4 million back then. And, um, everyone thought that it was really crazy, but, and we, we didn't, uh, and then shortly thereafter, we bought, um, this company called Direct Buy, uh, in Merrillville, Indiana. And we, we, we bought the business for $150,000, but it was about to implode. I mean, it was it was. Um, they had taken a bunch of customer orders, and they had basically been running the business on the customer orders, and so um, needed someone to just fulfill the orders. And so there were millions of dollars of outstanding liabilities, and so we said, "Hey, we'll basically take care of the customers, but we're not going to pay you anything." And then they said, "Fine." And we bought it out of bankruptcy for one hundred fifty thousand, and so that was the first deal that really got us to scale because direct buy was actually um, doing over a hundred million dollars in the us and canada selling home goods and home furnishings we implemented started building um, we had been um, building our tech platform for a couple years now we and we basically learned a lot from buying direct buy uh, using that our learnings we then bought z gallery in 2019 um, in 2019 was our first omni channel. So with DirectBuy we had three stores. So we learned a bunch about omni channel. Um, you know the legacy systems. Um, the DirectBuy ERP system was like 40 years old. Yeah, and so and we learned about bankruptcy, legacy systems, and sto- some stores. Um, and then we um, in drop shipping we became really good at drop shipping. And, uh, and marketplace really. And then, um, we bought Z Gallery in July of 2019, um, where we took over 30 something stores. And that was even hard. That was harder than we expected. So basically every deal we've done has always been, is always, you know, teaches us something new. Um, but after we bought Z Gallery, we bought, um, One Kings Lane during, during the midst of COVID. Uh, and I think we closed literally in at the end of March or something when so i we never even met the team a single time in real life before we bought the business. We just had some zoom calls and we bought the business um and then we bought sur Tab over the summer also during peak covid so we i i we visited one time um and then we bought the home consignment center which is a chain of uh, consignment furnishing stores. Um, And then we've bought a bunch of mom and pop smaller brands doing 3 million, 4 million. And then also this larger company called lakeside.com, which is uh, um, doing over 300 million in in a lower end home decor category online.
2: Well, you've been busy. Uh, So Justin, I mentioned that the, you know, I reached out to you after reading, your post on LinkedIn about culture. It's a topic I think is uh, super important. Uh, You know, I always think of that quote from Peter Drucker that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And you had some great points in there where you were distinguishing between company culture that um, is focused on more of the input than necessarily the day-to-day actions. And I, I thought it'd be great if you maybe could summarize, uh, some of the things that you, you, uh, talked about and, and what you think are important related to culture.
1: You know, so, so I really right the, the key thing is, you know, I think a lot of people try to talk about culture. Um, culture really is, are, are really the decisions that the company makes every single day. You know, it's what the company does that really drives a culture. And I think so many people talk about the inputs or outputs of culture, you know, like, oh, we have a great culture because of this, or this part of our culture is really good, right? But it's really, you know, and and culture is very important, because in the early days, right, like, if you have a company of 10 people, uh, you could all be involved in all the decisions, you know, so you can make sure that, right, like, that that you're do you're building a good business because you know everything that's happening as a CEO or the founder. But as a company, you know, now for example, we have thousands of team members in the US, Canada, Mexico City. With our right, with our scale, um, you know, so many decisions are being made that I really am just not involved with with, right? I in fact I'm not involved with most decisions. And so you know, right? Like it's it's very important that you know that 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 as you scale, right? Companies, if a company doesn't focus on its culture, you end up basically with the most times with a bad culture, because every company ends up having a culture, right? You can't not have a culture as a business. It's like how every you know society or every country has their own culture. And so, if you don't think about what you want your culture to be, you basically more likely than not will end up with a bad one.
2: For for CSC, some of the you know the areas that you've implemented, you know, the, I know there was one around long term thinking, but it'd be uh, I think it'd be interesting to hear you talk about the way that you're looking at it and and how you approach it at CSC. Yeah, so
1: one of um, our key cultural values, right, is long term thinking. I think one of the reasons why, right, I mean, you guys know this, retail retail, and e-commerce is just plagued with short-term thinking and short-term, like, right, just the average CMO tenure is like 18 months or something like that, right? It's just completely, it's just insane. And so, and, and a big part of that has historically been private equity, right? So private equity companies come in, and they generally want to buy a company and flip it in like three to five years, maybe seven years is considered a long hold. but the thing is that you know let's say right in retail, if you have to uh upgrade the w m s the o m s the e r or the accounting system or the e commerce platform uh i mean that that those are like two year projects, so you know it takes right six months of planning a year of execution, and then you see the benefits a year later. And so you really need to think in terms of five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, not like three to six in this, in this business. And, um, and, but because people think so short term, you know, they try to force these retailers and these brands to grow faster than they should naturally be growing. So like the, you know, I kind of describe it, right. It was like what a lot of people do when they come into these companies is trying to like force feed your children by getting them to eat more and grow faster But it's like, you know, there's really this natural rate of growth that they have that maybe they could exercise more, right? But you could grow a little bit faster, but most brands should not be growing at, you know, a certain rate, like a wish.com is just a prime example of just, you know, VC and private equity fueled money to grow top line as fast as possible. And CSC now does more revenues than Wish. I mean, Wish just blew s- through over a billion dollars on marketing, wow. right, just to keep top line high so that they could go public because the public market investors look at, well, what's your revenue growth? The problem is, right, that it's basically like a Ponzi scheme because you eventually run out of new customers to acquire. At at If your whole game is just simply a customer acquisition arbitrage, right, you end up with new you you can't have new customers acquire. So going back to the cultural point, you know, we think that our culture is different than 90 plus percent of retailers and brands and e-commerce companies because we're, you know, we really are focused on the long term. So I would say that's one of the most important thing, right? So we really focus on hiring people who are, you know, yeah, I want to build a great business and I know it's going to take five years or eight years to really make these brands really great again, right? And that's totally fine because I'm not looking to, you know, I don't need IPO in two years or three years even. Right. And, <laughs> and, um, and, and because of that, I think that we, you know, right. Like we're just so much less focused on, uh, you know, all, all the short-term pressures that a lot of people have.
0: It, it's a really great, uh, articulation because I, I was a CMO brought in by private equity to help turn around a, a brand that was in trouble. And uh, they said, how long is it going to take? And I said, well, listen, it took you 10 years to get this bad. It's not going to be, I can't turn it around overnight. <laughs> exactly. You know, listen, listen, You know, I, they gave me six months, and then they pulled the plug. I'm like, yeah, listen, I can't do. I could change. I could paint a few stores in six months. I can't do much else. Um, exactly. Let's let's transition and let's transition to the a bit of a career advice. So, you've had a, 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 a such a successful journey on on your terms, if we put it that way. If you must be asked for advice, you're 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 a thought leader very successful. When, when you're asked for advice, career advice, what do, you, what do you say? What's What are the things that you would advise, even yourself? I mean, even if you look back, you know, in your early parts of your journey, would you you say, well, I look back and I tell myself to do,
1: do everything the same, or maybe
0: a few things different? Like, Talk about that for a little bit.
1: You know, what I would say, right, is that a lot of people need to know whether or not, first of all, right, like, is your objective really you know, people need to think about what is my risk tolerance, right? And also, am I looking to harvest or am I looking to learn, right? And so that's like the big difference where, you know, like, again, if you are a certain point in your career, right, where you have, you know, two kids and you have to pay for college, right, and you're really, you know, and and so you're really trying to harvest the fruits of your labor, it makes sense, let's say, to focus on, you know, the jobs that would, you know, right, like one of where compensation is one of the more important um, aspects of what to do, right? But so many people, you know, went early on in their life, like, I don't know, and, and not, it's not just age, by the way, you know, right, you could be older, you could be younger, and you might have reasons why you need to focus on harvesting, right, making the most money, Versus, you know, where learning, right, is less of a, you know, is is a lesser opportunity. Um, And obviously, right, like your ideal Hmm. scenario is where you could harvest the most and be learning the most. But oftentimes that doesn't happen, right? Where if you could do that, where the perfect opportunity came up and then you should really take that opportunity. But if not, right, I think people don't really think about it in terms of like what is really the most important thing. And right, like, and then also, once you think about that, the second mm. second question is really right, like, what is the com- you're going back to the culture, right? And going back to the fact that you know, you if you're going to spend the majority of your day working, that you you really should be at somewhere where you know not only are you learning or harvesting, whichever one right you, is your priority, mm. but then somewhere where you really enjoy. Right. And right. then um in, in thinking about that where you're enjoying yourself while learning or harvesting, whichever one it is. Um and and if you frame your, you know, thought process kind of in in that sort of you know dynamic, I think people would really and you know make potentially right make different decisions. Um and for me, you know early on, right, what was really nice was that I had no obligations to anybody, basically, where I could just right. do, I, I didn't have any children that I, I had to pay for their schools or anything, right, no mortgage payment. Um, and so I could, I was just like, I just want to, you know, learn how to start companies. And, and um, I didn't really need a salary or anything. And so, you know, right, like, that was a focus. Um, but you have to, you know, right, like, there, there's obviously, you know, trade offs there
0: it's that intersection of of risk tolerance and if not ambition confidence right that that everything will be all right but i can take on more risk and
2: right i mean i i it, it really interested to hear your thoughts uh i think 2021 was obviously an interesting year and and it it followed a, a very interesting year as well um you know we saw a lot uh, this year a lot of dtcs going public like Warby Parker and Allbirds and Rent the Runway and uh, a few others in there, uh, Brilliant uh, Earth and so on. You know, do you think that's going to continue? You know, there's all kinds of emerging technologies like uh, headless and live streaming. Like, you know, what do you think? You know, if we're talking a year from now in December of 2022, um, what do you think the the the, the big headlines will be?
1: You know, so I, I think that the big headlines for next year will probably be a continuation of 21 um where there'll probably be bigger headlines in 23. Um and um is is what I is what I think. I'm not much I'm I wouldn't say that I'm really good at you know these at, at these sort of predictions, so You know, take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, basically, right, like, I think the big things that are going to continue are, like, the supply chain disruptions, the labor market, the inflation, where, by the way, if you look at the earnings calls of all these big shippers, you know, um, that, right, the ocean freight carriers, they're saying that they have contracted labor, uh, not labor prices, right, for, for ocean freight until the second half of 22, is that high prices will stay and put, and that prices might go down a little bit, but it will be high for the foreseeable future. That's what they're guiding in their earnings calls. And so, right, if you think about that, it's this inflation and, you know, right, the COVID, the, the constant, you know, the, the, the higher cost of operating under a COVID environment and the ocean freight and the trade disruptions continue. And by the way, China has already said that until Q2, at the earliest they're not going to allow flights to start coming back well retail products you know all the the products that we sell in our stores a, a lot of them are on come via air right a lot of it come via ocean but some come via air and if there's no passenger traffic now that completely disrupts the supply chain because there's less planes flying from china to the u.s and right i mean and so if you think about that I think 2022, people are going to be able to hold on and just kind of manage. And they're going to be banking on Q4 of 2022, saving the day. And if Q4 of 2022 is not good because of all this craziness continues, I think that in 23, there'll be a lot of shakeout and a lot of bankruptcies. Um, And so, you know, throughout 22, retailers will probably continue tapping the capital markets, getting their IPOs in. Um, you know, because they, they probably are seeing this as well. Um, and the people that don't cap the capital markets this year that needed to, um, you know, will, will probably be in a, a world of pain uh, after the holidays.
2: All right. That's, that's a good, juicy prediction, <laughs> Great. you know, thought about what's uh, coming down the road. Thank you for that. So now that we put you on the spot with your predictions, um, here's your chance to give a shout out to all the great openings at CSC Generation, um, tell our listeners why they should consider joining the team, and and uh, and where can they learn more to do that?
1: Thank you. So uh, you could uh, on on our careers page, you could definitely um, people could definitely learn more. Um, we're hiring for over a hundred positions across digital marketing to merchandising to planning to data analysts, data science engineering. I mean, it's just, it's basically we would be doing way better if your listeners were on our team is what I would say, you know, um, right. We, we, you, you mentioned Natalie's very involved in the community. We need more people like Natalie. Um, and, and that's why, that's why we're, um, you know, obviously we've been doing very well and we've been growing very nicely, but but we just have a crazy bottleneck um, due to due to you know difficulty hiring talent. I mean, we're I would say we're doing very well from a hiring perspective, but you know, still not meeting our objectives. Right? Um, I think very few people are actually hitting their hiring objectives. Um, and, you know, the the reason why I would say, right, one one should join is, you know, I would describe CSC as kind of being a mix between being able to have a lot of the upside um, of, right, like, of um, both from a learning perspective and also, you know, from a compensation perspective, right? Because it's not like we're a very high risk, early stage startup where, we you know, we're profitable, we've established ourselves, we have a clear track to like an IPO or some sort of exit at some point. But we're not in a rush, and you know, we really empathize, empathize on on hiring great people. And so, you know, what I can guarantee, right? I can't guarantee that CSC will be successful. Um, I obviously think that it will be, but I, what I can guarantee is that the people that you will work with um, will, will 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 be good people that you would in, you would enjoy.
2: Well, I mean, you. It, it's. I think it says a lot of um, how thoughtful you are about culture. And the emphasis on long term thinking, uh, it sounds like that is, uh, you know, it can be a really rewarding environment for a lot of people. So I, uh, I hope our listeners do decide to uh, to look at you guys a little more closely and, um, and get to work with with Natalie and the others there. Um, so thank you so much for. Uh, for joining us on Conversations with Commerce Next, our podcast. Thank you, Michael, for co-hosting, as always, and uh, have a uh, a great um, 2022.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Conversations with Commerce Next. Please follow us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast platform, where we will be sharing career advice and marketing strategies from e-commerce and digital marketing leaders at retailers and direct-to-consumer brands each and every episode. Commerce Next is a community, events series, and conference for marketers at retail and direct-to-consumer brands. Through our online forums, interviews, webinars, summits, and other in-person events, we harness the collective wisdom of our community to help marketers grow their businesses and advance their careers. Join Commerce Next events to meet other industry leaders and learn the latest e-commerce and marketing strategies. You can find upcoming events at commercenext.com.
1: Have a fantastic week, everyone.